Really excited to open up the Word of God with you. If you all have your Bibles, that would be sweet. Um, per usual, we are going to be using the Bible as we preach tonight. Um, before we do that, we are, we're going to be going out of Galatians. We're going to be starting up our series on Galatians, which I'm really excited about, and I want to give us uh, just a framework of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're really just going to pretty much talk only about the gospel tonight, uh, and I'm really, really excited to do that. So I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the text. So if you want to follow along with me right now, Ephesians 2, in a little bit, it's going to be Galatians 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray with me. Lord God, you are righteous and you are holy. And you are good and you are perfect. And it was we who were dead in our sins and trespasses. It was we who were in love with sin, in love with Satan, and were by nature children of wrath. But it was you who showed mercy. It was you who put forth Jesus Christ, and it was you who accomplished such a glorious salvation that we have to rejoice in. Father God, thank you for the gospel. We ask now as we get into your word that you would open the eyes of our hearts to the wonder and to the majesty of this gospel, of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, with no works added so that we cannot boast, but so that you can get all the glory for the salvation that is yours to rightly give, Lord. May we boast in Jesus Christ tonight. I ask for those of us who are trusting in Christ, Lord, may we be comforted by the presence of your Spirit and by the joy of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who have false comfort, false assurance, who do not love Jesus Christ and have not given our lives to him, Lord, may we be um, irritated. I ask that by your spirit that you would convict us deeply of our sin and more than that, of the holiness of God and our need for a Savior, Lord. I ask all of this in the only name by which I can come to you, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as I said, we're going to be opening up uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to be reading Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 tonight. And before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about the context of this book. And so it's pretty important, uh, actually it's like really important that you stay locked in, even just in this context, for you to understand what Paul's going to write in the text, as well as to have context for the rest of the book. A lot of the things are just going to like 
like right over your head unless you really understand uh, who Paul is writing to specifically uh, in the Galatians. And so, uh, Paul, as many of you know, was a missionary uh, who wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And so Paul went to Galatia, okay? So he lived amongst the Galatians for a year and a half. He's doing life. He's helping build the church. And that text that I read right there in the beginning of Ephesians 2, that is the foundation of Paul's ministry. The foundation of Paul's ministry and the foundation that he's building this church on is the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's not a foundation that says, you do, you go, but it's a foundation that says, come as you are, throw yourself upon Jesus Christ for mercy, and you will find a Savior. That's Paul's gospel. And so that, as in the year and a half that Paul is living with the Galatians, we know when he writes to other churches, he preaches Christ crucified. He doesn't preach this sort of uh, do better at life because everything's okay and you don't have anything to worry about. No, he, he's preaching that there's a holy God who we have sinned against. And if he's going to be righteous and good to us, we are, we are damned to hell. And apart from his salvation in Jesus Christ, we have no hope. That's, that's the foundation that he's building this church on in Galatia for a year and a half. And so Paul's going to be here in Galatia and he starts moving along and goes to these other churches. And Lord willing, now he's, he's set elders and he set people up in this place in Galatia to protect them from false teaching. He's saying, you, you guys are ready. You're ready to be your own church. So I'm going to leave you and, and continue uh, in my missions work. And so enter Galatia, uh, the book of Galatians. What's happening now is, is Paul's hearing that there are these people who have come into the church and have put a little uh, change, just a little alteration. He's going to use the word uh, today in our text a distortion on the gospel. And so what happened is there are these people called the Judaizers and they walked into the church in Galatia and they said, hey, Paul was, Paul was right about Jesus. You, you can only be saved by Jesus, but you have to be saved by Jesus and then you have to obey all these laws. And so what they did is they went back to the Old Testament and they read these Mosaic laws. So if you're a male, you might need to be circumcised. If you're uh, Everybody else needs to take part in these, uh, these laws and these rites and these feasts and these uh, celebration days, all these different events. And they're saying, well, you can, you can be saved, but you have to do these things too, right? And so what Paul is seeing immediately, these people are not giving Paul's message. They're not giving Paul's gospel that says salvation by grace through faith alone apart from works of the law. That's what, that's what Paul said. That's his gospel. Salvation by grace through faith alone, apart from works of the law. So you're not adding to Christ's work. You're not adding to your salvation. Jesus Christ is the one in whom your salvation is found. And so this isn't Paul's first episode with these characters. They've been sneaking around to these churches, and Paul's now going to write to Galatians, and this is really one of the, one of the strongest uh, exhortations that we're going to get from this. And so for you guys to get the weight of this, I, I just want to illustrate this. So you have sort of the twofold. We're going to try to step into Paul's shoes and then we're going to try to understand the urgency that he's coming from as well. And so I want you to imagine that you basically, because Paul, Paul comes to Galatia. They don't like ask him, hey, please come to us. Paul comes to Galatia and builds this foundation of the church. He's evangelizing people. He's bringing them in. And so Imagine that you go out into the street, you find somebody who's your age, but they're homeless. They don't have hope, they don't have clothes, they don't even have food, they don't have anything. 
and you bring these people into your life. It's, it's going into your senior year of high school. So you know you have about a year before uh, you know you're going to head to college, and you have about a year before you go to college. And so you bring this person into your house, and they start coming to school with you, and they start playing the same sports as you, and they start loving the same hobbies that you do, and they have the same friend group as you do. And so all these things that you're doing, you're doing together. You guys, you, you become best friends, like attached at the hip. And not only that, not only are you such good friends, but you're also seeing that God is doing a crazy work in their life. That from the get-go, you shared the gospel with them, and they were on fire. They're excited. They're, they're loving the word of God. They want to be with God. They want to be with his people. They're excited to come to church. They're excited to study word. They're, they're spending hours a day in prayer for God's people. And so you're seeing this, and you're like, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. Look what the Lord's done in this person's heart. And a year goes by, and you actually have to head off to college, and so do they. But you're, you're excited. You're confident that, uh, you're, confident that you know, you're going to get to see them. They're going to come back to your house in the, in the breaks, and you're going to get to spend time with them. But over the semester, you're calling them, and this person starts picking up less and less and less, and you're sitting there kind of like, wait, like, this person didn't really have much. Like, I shared the gospel with them, and that meant everything to them. And so, why did they stop being friends with me? What, what happened? And so, you make this call, and finally one day they pick up. You haven't been able to get a hold of them, but they pick up. And they're like, hey, um, and things just don't sound the same. And they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful for everything you did for me and all. I'm really thankful that, that you were so nice to me, that you brought me in, you shared the gospel with me. But, you know, I, I met up with some people on campus and I'm, I'm really starting to consider the teachings of Buddha. I'm really, Buddhism started to become really attractive to me. And, uh, and with that in mind, I, I just don't know if we can really spend a ton of time together because I know that uh, that's really different than the message that you proclaim. Because these people told me that, Christians were liars, and I'm, I'm starting to think that that might be true. What, what would you feel in your heart at that conversation? This person who you brought in off the street, lived with them for a year and a half, they're your best friend to then hear that shortly after. So we would probably feel a lot of anger and frustration and also a lot of questions. And so this is uh, exactly what happens to Paul Except for unlike us, probably Paul, Paul understands the weight of what's happening in that is a lot deeper than I feel hurt. Because if we got that phone call, we'd probably be like, wow, I feel really hurt. Like, you kind of hurt me. And Paul's primary concern now, as we, before we get into this, this text, is not going to be, wow, I'm very hurt. Paul's primary concern is, oh my goodness, they are not saved. It, if they go all the way, if they accept the teachings of these Judaizers, there is no way of salvation for them. It, if they don't throw themselves wholly on Jesus Christ, and they're saying, you know what, yeah, I, I like this Jesus thing, but I'm going to add to my salvation too. If they do that, and that's what the Judaizers are telling them to do, they're done for. So Paul's concern is not, I feel bad, but oh no, oh no. If these people run from the gospel, there's no hope. And so I, I want you to imagine this so you have 
simultaneously the weight of the pain of people turning away. But the other thing that's going on here is like, imagine what would you do right now? What text would you send right now if you got a message saying, if your family, and this is somehow you, you know it's true, I, I just, it's theoretical, but you get a text somehow that says, if your family does not leave their house in the next 60 seconds, they are going to die. Your house is, is on fire. They don't know about it. They have 60 seconds to leave the house or else it's going to burn down and they're going to be trapped inside. That is the weight of what Paul's feeling right now. And, and that text message that you'd send would not say, hey, mom, um, hey, are you there? Just open your arm. Was uh, wondering how your day's going. Uh, maybe we could grab lunch tomorrow. Oh, by the way, um, you need to get out of the house in the next 60 seconds or else it's going to burn down. It's, it, that, that's crazy. And so where Paul's going to come in is he's going to feel this pressing reality that the, the church in Galatia is in a house that is burning down and they've fallen asleep. They don't know that it's burning down. Paul wants to wake them up and do it quickly. Otherwise, it could burn down and they will not escape. So that's, that's the background. We have these Judaizers. They are distorting the gospel to say, no, it's, it's Jesus plus works rather than Jesus alone. And so this is our background as we get into Galatians. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and the brothers who are with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, Judaizers, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want to start here. Uh, I want to first talk about three things. That where we're, where we're going to go today. We're going to be focusing on point number one is our need to know the gospel. What is this gospel that Paul is affirming? We need to, number two, treasure the gospel. This is what the text is going to call us to do in verses 6 and 7. And number three, we need to defend the gospel. We need to know the gospel, treasure the gospel, or love the gospel, and defend the gospel. And these things are all going to build on each other. Our knowledge of the gospel is our foundation upon which we build our treasuring, upon which we build our defense of the gospel. So I want to cover verses 1 through 5 again. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So the Judaizers, in order to 
say Paul has a wrong gospel, I have to, have to say, well, Paul wasn't really called from God either. Paul was just, the apostles just affirmed him and said, yeah, you go do your thing. But he's really twisted the gospel. He doesn't have the real gospel. What, so what Paul does right away is he basically stomps on their lies and says, no, I'm an apostle because Jesus Christ called me to be an apostle. He's going to talk about that uh, actually next week. Tate's going to cover that. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Ooh, that's the one we want. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's something really cool that happens here in just this introduction that I want to talk about. A lot of the times when we're reading through uh, Paul's letters, especially like the very beginning and the very end, we kind of just like gloss over it. We're like, all right, cool, let's get into the meat of it. And then we just fast forward to verse 6. But even here, what Paul is doing is Paul is pointing on this little sore spot. And he's saying, this is what I'm going to talk about because I'm going to tell you the gospel even before I call you out for running away from the gospel. Look at these words here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Why? To deliver us from this present age. And how did that happen? It happened according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's Paul's first instinct is to positively proclaim the beauty of Jesus Christ. And calls us to know the gospel. So I want to look at these three things. So this is, this is amazing. I, please don't miss this. And so I want to look past this. If you imagine basically a timeline. On the stage we have creation. So Genesis chapter 1. Over here we have Revelation 22. This is all of, all of created time, right? We're who knows where. We're somewhere in here. But the cross happened right in the middle which is easy because I'm going to stand here, so it's easy to reference that. Cross happens in the middle. We're somewhere between the cross and the end of time. Okay? So Paul looks to eternity past, and he says, this Jesus Christ was sent according to the will of our God and Father. So in eternity past, we have the triune God, and we have the Father saying to his Son, I'm going to send you to redeem and to save a people for yourself. To save what do, we, what do we see when uh, the angel talks to Mary? And his name will be called Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. He won't make salvation potential. He won't make salvation something that, you know, we add to. No, he's going to save his people from their sins. So God, or, or Jesus Christ is sent as the Son of God in the flesh by the Father to deliver us from this present evil age where we are over here, right? So he delivers us from this present age and he brings in everlasting life and brings it into today. This is, this is really, really cool. And so what Jesus does in his death is he takes this everlasting life with him over here in eternity future and he plops it down into time and gives it to us by faith because he delivered us right here. And so what Paul is affirming is he's saying, look to that cross of Jesus Christ. Look to that cross because on that cross, Jesus didn't just make something kind of, 
kind of there. No, he, he did this to deliver us present from this present age, to deliver us right here and now, not for you to add. All this is received by faith alone. Jesus perfectly saves his people. The Judaizers might say he makes salvation possible if you do. They, they can even walk in and say, yes, Jesus, thumbs up to Jesus. He makes salvation possible if you do. But Paul, on the other hand, in this verse, is wonderfully proclaiming Jesus saves. It's not about you. It's not about how perfectly you live, but it's about how perfectly Jesus lived. Trust in him alone. And because this is all true, we get verse 5, that he gets the glory forever and ever. It's not about what we do, but about what Jesus has done. So Paul wants Galatia, and therefore us, to know the gospel. He wants us to be infatuated with the gospel. He commands that our hearts soar with thanksgiving and joy at the reality of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. So what is this, what is this gospel that we are to know? Yes, we're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But what is this gospel? This gospel is that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. So what, what, what's, what's the faith? What's the object of my faith? What am I believing in? I'm believing in Jesus Christ, the one who came to die for sinners. Not to make us better people. Not to be a great moral teacher. Not to direct us into what life looks like. No, the one who came to die for sinners. The one who didn't come to a die for a people who are simply trying their best to get their act together. He didn't come to a people who liked him and were thankful for him. The Son of God died for a people who hated him. He was clothed in perfect mercy and humility and grace and met with the lowest of the low and called them into himself. And we hated him. If you don't think that we hated him, look to the cross. Why was he there? He was there because it was us screaming, crucify him, crucify him. It was us in this wickedness and we would be stuck in that apart from his grace. All that we wanted to do was give God the middle finger. And to prove it, when he sent his son, we murdered him in the most gruesome way possible. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, but we did not want a way. We did not cherish or care for his love. But God shows his love for us, for sinners, the ones who he looked out to and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Because it brings God great joy to save people. He loves showing mercy to sinners. He loves it when we come to him empty-handed and say, I can't bring anything before you, God. I just want to cling to you. He will never turn you away. Rejoice in the fact that the God of the universe, whom we have spat on, who receives nothing from us, we don't give him more glory. He, he exists in perfect joy and happiness. And out of that, he says, I desire to save you. His greatest joy is in saving sinners. He loves showing the world how wonderfully gracious, merciful, kind, and loving he is and sending his son to die on their behalf. 
Jesus loves a people who are completely unlovable. And it is a joy for him to do so. The greatest joy of the Christian life is to see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ in the gospel. What I just did. The primary duty of the Christian life is this. From the moment of salvation into eternity. Does does the fact that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners and the knowledge that you are a sinner make your heart sore with thanksgiving? Does everything I just proclaimed, does that make you just want to cry out, yes, God, thank you. Thank you that you have died for a people who did not deserve it. Because what you will be doing if you are in heaven with Jesus is that. You will be in Humility and in thanksgiving, giving thanks for this forever. And if that doesn't sound fun to you, the Bible does not give you peace to say you will be in heaven. If you can envision a heaven without Jesus Christ, you are not going to heaven. I want to say that again. If you can envision a heaven without Jesus Christ, you are not going to heaven. And this is why. Because when I know the gospel, and when I get that Jesus Christ died for sinners, it does something to me. It doesn't make me stay in this position of sin and say, oh, that's cool, cool, thanks Jesus, I'm going to keep doing my thing. God does this work in my heart that is so radical that I will get this. I won't get it perfectly. I'm not going to get it perfectly. I'm not every second of every moment of my life going to be like, yes, Jesus, thank you, thank you. Because our sin is when we turn away from this sight, from the sight of the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's when I sin. However, there's such a deep change in my heart of hearts that what I want more than anything in this world is not just to be a good person, it's, it's, it's not just to be a little happier, to have a little bit better relationships with my friends, to be a little more liked at school. God does something to my heart that says, no, more than anything in the world, I want Jesus. I want to see Jesus and I want to be with him for all of my life. And so I would implore you tonight, please, 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 please do not walk away without getting that reality. Is heaven still heaven if Jesus is not there for you? And if it is, throw yourself upon Jesus. See everything I just proclaimed. See that you are a sinner, that you have spat on the face of God, and that he has provided a sacrifice for you, for you in love. And respond to him by asking him for grace and mercy. The command that Paul gives both to believers and unbelievers alike in verses 3 through 5 is the same. See the beauty of Jesus Christ and his love for sinners. Know this good news that Jesus Christ alone, apart from anything that I do, saves. All I have to do is see him. This is not a work. I simply see Jesus Christ, see his love, behold him, and I will be saved. Verses 6 through 7. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to move through this section pretty fast, but I want to, I want to talk about these two words that we are quickly, what, the, what Galatians is doing is they are deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ by turning to a different gospel. What the church here is doing when they're saying, well, it's faith plus works. It's Jesus' works plus my works. They're not just like changing the gospel a little bit and tweaking it. No, they're, they're running away from God. As, as Steve Lawson has said, you cannot be wrong about the gospel and be right with God. These things can't happen at the same time. If I'm wrong about the good news, well then, I'm going to be wrong about where I'm going to be spending eternity. I'm going to be wrong about who I'm supposed to put my faith and my trust in. And so look at those words that they are, the church is deserting him who called them. They're not just changing the gospel. They're deserting God by running from the gospel. And this happens because there is not another gospel. And how does this happen? This happens through, uh, as we see here at the end of verse 7, distorting the gospel of Christ. See, if the Judaizers had come in and said, hey, guys, guess what? Everything you believe is wrong. You're idiots. Here's the real message. Like if somebody walked in front of you and said that and said, Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. Don't worry about it. You'd be like, yeah, right, dude. Come on. Don't play with me. Like, get out of here. And I hope that if you ever hear somebody say that, you don't actually take that seriously. Because the church can't be deceived by that. They are deceived by a little distortion. And so the Judaizers can even affirm, yes, Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. You can't, you can't get to God apart from Jesus. But then what are they going to do right after that? And you need to obey the law. And you need to become a Jew. It's that little and. It's that small distortion that's taking the church in Galatia and is causing them to run away from God because they cannot be wrong about the gospel and be right with God. And so, again, here what Paul is doing is he's calling us them, treasure the gospel. Why, why are you turning from this so fast? I'm, I'm blown away that you would take this glorious, glorious good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and that you would run from God. Why would you do this? You don't have a better gospel to offer. Paul's calling us to treasure the gospel. I want to talk briefly about distortions of the gospel because you all are heading into college these next couple years or you're in high school and you're going to a public school or just because you're in the world. You're going to hear distortions of the gospel and it's important that we understand the work of Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone. That's it and nothing. You don't need to be a better person. You need to run to Jesus and he will make you to be a better person out of thanksgiving and gratitude for what he's done. So, as we would see, even what the Judaizers are doing, a works-based salvation. Every other religion in the world says this. They say, love God, love others. If you do this perfectly, you'll go to heaven. I don't do that perfectly. Jesus is the only one who says, love God, love others. And when you don't do this, I'm going to provide a way for you to still get there. I'm going to pay for that sin against God. Universalism. Uh, this is very popular uh, today. You can say, well, Jesus is just one way of many ways. There's a couple different roads and Jesus will get you there, but so will Buddha and so will Muhammad and 
so will Joseph Smith and whoever else you want to add in there. No, this is no gospel at all. There is no good news in saying, yes, Jesus is a way, but so is Muhammad, because they have different messages. There is no gospel in any other name but Jesus Christ. We also have a universalism that's big. I want to... Um, I won't throw names out. But there are also other people who are claiming to be Christian now, today, who are talking about uh, saying that there's no hell. I recently interacted with a friend's mother-in-law who sent him a 45-minute video on why there is no hell and had to pick that apart. That is no gospel. If there is no hell, what did Jesus Christ save you from? Um, I want to talk about genuinism. Well, I feel really nice about this. I think I'm a really good person, right? I, but they're so genuine. It does, the genuineness of somebody's heart, if God has been kind to them and has granted them a compassionate heart and they are kind people, does not change the fact that they still need a Savior. No matter how genuine somebody is in their best attempts to be a good person, that's still their attempts to be a good person. What they need to know is that they are not good enough to stand before the God of the universe and they need to trust in God himself to save them. Roman Catholicism. This might come to a surprise. I'm not saying that all Roman Catholics are not saved, but Roman Catholic teaching as a whole historically, if you want to talk about this later, I'd love to, uh, says faith plus works. They say, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be, uh, you need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to come to mass this amount of times. You need to be baptized. You need to be confirmed. You need to come. And so they have all these different stipulations to say faith plus works. So Roman Catholicism is a false doctrine. Pick and chooseism. This is also really popular today. We have a gospel that says, uh, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like what he says about premarital sex. I just don't like it. I mean, that means I can't do what I want to do. And so I don't I don't like what the Bible says about that. I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm still going to have premarital sex and I'm not really going to care about it. It's no big deal. Jesus isn't going to make us perfect. We're still going to wrestle with this book to say, sometimes it gives me some really hard teachings, but the gospel of Jesus Christ changes me so that when I come across tough teachings, I don't simply say, yeah, I don't care about that. But it changes me so that when I come across hard teachings, I go, God, I need to figure this out because I know with confidence that Jesus is the only way for me to be with you forever. Moralistic therapeutic deism. This is basically a message. God loves you. God wants you to be happy. Be a good person. Be happy. That's the whole message. And they'll even use the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus did X, Y, and Z. Be a good person. God loves you. You're happy as you are. No reference to sin no mention that you need to repent and you need to trust in Jesus Christ alone, but simply a message that says, be happy. We also have the prosperity gospel. Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Live the American dream. That's really different from the Jesus who said, if you wish to be my disciple, take up your cross, follow after me, die to yourself. Then the Jesus who says, if you wish to be my disciple, you must hate your father, mother, sister, brother more than me. You must hate even your own life, not count it as anything, if you wish to be my disciple. Very different message. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know how much you know about this, but this is a different Jesus. There's an inherently different Jesus. And they'll come and they'll use the same words as us, same vocabulary as us. There's a different gospel. 
And what Paul tells us in verse 7 is not that there is another gospel. That little distortion that you're putting on the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are running from God in that. And uh, finally, social justice. This is especially big amongst our, I say our generation, I'm like four or five years older than you guys, so don't freak out. Um, We as the people of God need to be pursuing social justice. We as the people of God need to be pursuing and reconciling relationships in this world because we have been reconciled to God. But there's a big push amongst our generation to say, well, Jesus, look what Jesus did. Look how Jesus treated the outcast. Look how Jesus, and, and people are starting to look at the, the works of Jesus, which is great, but there's nothing about the cross. And there's nothing about the gospel. There's nothing about the fact that we're sinners. There's nothing about the fact that we need to run from our best attempts to be social justicians and run to Jesus because we can't be saved on our own. And so there can be a way that people can dress up Jesus and make him look like a saving Jesus and then just say, you need to go be a good person. That's essentially what, what that is. And so we as the people of God, rather than just saying, go be a good person, we want to say we've been reconciled to God. And when we see his mercy and his compassion and his love and reconciling us to himself, we desire to do this to the world around us. So... Um, this is actually where we're going to end tonight because Tate gets to preach uh, next week as well. I'm going to have him cover verse 10. I was going to talk about verse 10, uh, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, so as a whole tonight, the, my, my exhortation to us, and I'm going to move to some questions here for you to think about. A couple of them are going to be irrelevant, but nonetheless, is do we know the gospel? Do I know the gospel and am I able to pick out that's not the same Jesus you're giving me a different message. Do we, do we know it? And second question, do we love it? When I see Jesus Christ in the gospel, do I, out of, out of such love for him, do I treasure it more than anything? When I really get the reality of this, do I love it more than anything so that I would be astonished if me or if anyone who I love runs from this because I'm, I'm so blown away by the wonder that the holy God of the universe has sent his son to die on my behalf. Do I treasure this gospel? I'm going to put up some questions on the screen. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, just look on the first three questions. Ignore the fourth question. Again, Tate can talk about that next week, and he's going to do an awesome job. But the first three questions... Do you know the gospel? If so, have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Knowing the gospel doesn't save you. Knowing Jesus saves people doesn't save you. Knowing Jesus saves people and as a response to that, throwing yourself on Jesus for salvation, that saves you. So do you know the gospel and has it changed you? Have you trusted in Christ? Because that will show if it's hit your heart. And then, Question two, how can you grow in your love for the gospel this week? What are, what are practical ways that you can be treasuring the gospel more in your life? That can be through meditating on it more. That can be through praying it back to God and thanking him for it, asking him for that love, through spending time in his word, through spending time with people and talking about the gospel. What are ways you can do that? Number three, what are the areas in your life where your love for the gospel needs to bleed out into proclaiming it to others? 
Where are ways where out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the abundance of my heart needs to be the gospel. And I need to share that with those who are around me. Let me close us in prayer and then you'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you that your word does not return void. That you accomplish by your spirit exactly what you intend. We thank you that your word is able and capable and does separate joint from narrow, joint from marrow, the intentions of the heart, the wicked intentions of our heart from that which is good. Father, I ask that you would cause us to meditate upon this passage, upon the eternal God of the universe in the Son of God, bearing flesh and dying for us. Lord, may your love for us in the gospel change us. May it change us so that we want nothing more than to know the gospel of Jesus Christ because of our love for you and for your message, Lord. Work in our hearts. Cause us to meditate on this and for it to change us throughout this week, Lord. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the preciousness of his blood that brings us together under one man that we might rejoice and worship him in righteousness and holiness, Lord. Thank you for tonight. I thank you for each and every kid in here. Father, may you work in our hearts. It's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen. All right.